almost 90% of older adults have experienced at least one traumatic event in their lifetime. Yet post-traumatic stress disorder continues to be overlooked in older patients. Clinicians should routinely assess for symptoms of PTSD as a misdiagnosis can lead to poor health outcomes, including increased risk of suicide. In this episode, we will shed some light on assessing and treating PTSD in the older patient. Welcome to the Parlet Psychiatry Podcast. This is another episode from the Geriatric Psychiatry Team. I am Dr. Rehan Aziz, an Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Neurology at Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine in Nutley, New Jersey. I'm also the Associate Program Director for Geriatric Psychiatry and Adult Psychiatry at Jersey Shore University Medical Center in Neptune, New Jersey, right on the water. And I'm Prabhjot Gill. I'm the podcast coordinator at Carlot Publishing, and I am entering graduate school very soon to pursue my doctorate in psychology. We have some exciting news for you. You can now receive CME credit for listening to this episode and all new episodes going forward on this feed. Follow the podcast CME subscription link in the show notes to get access to the CME post-test for this episode and future ones. So, Dr. Aziz, can you begin by talking about what the prevalence of PTSD looks like for older adults? Absolutely. While most patients with trauma histories do not develop PTSD, the prevalence of PTSD in late life is between 1% and 3.5%, making it relatively common. A lot of times when something has a prevalence of 1%, it sounds like it's rare, but that's actually one out of 100. Um, if you go to a baseball game and there are 50,000 people there, it means almost 500 of them will have PTSD, uh, which is a significant uh, portion. How does PTSD present in older adults? In older adults, PTSD can be chronic. Symptoms might first appear in adulthood or childhood, and it can also present decades after the initial trauma. For example, many Vietnam and Korea-era war veterans continue to experience PTSD even 40 to 50 years after they experienced combat trauma, while some veterans have developed PTSD for the first time later in life. Sometimes that's occurred in the context of retirement, as well as cognitive impairment. Symptoms might flare in later life due to triggers, such as retirement, especially in people who coped well in adulthood by immersing themselves in work. What are some of the common risk factors? So advanced age has a mixed effect on vulnerability to trauma. On one hand, there's greater susceptibility to trauma because of physical and cognitive changes. Older adults might have decreased social support, and they might have reduced financial resources to help replace material losses, such as from floods or fires. On the other hand, older adults have several protective factors, Older adults may demonstrate resilience when faced with traumatic events, as they've had a lifetime of learning to cope with prior traumas successfully. You mentioned that there's a greater risk due to physical and cognitive deterioration. Does this mean older adults are also at a higher risk for medically induced PTSD? Definitely. Older adults are at higher risk for medically induced PTSD because of the overall declining health and increased number of medical illnesses. They also have the greatest interaction with the healthcare system compared to other populations. Older adults also may have delirium, 
causing longer ICU or hospital stays. They can also have longer duration of cancer treatments. Other contributing causes to medically induced PTSD are pain, isolation, and loss of function. I recommend screening for medically induced PTSD in your older patients who suffered from any of the following. Cancer, multiple sclerosis, falls, heart attacks, cardiac surgery, ICU admissions, or long-term care stays. And are there any comorbidities that often occur with PTSD in older adults? There are two main comorbidities, psychiatric and medical. So when you're working with patients who have PTSD, it's really important to ask about any other mental health issues they might be experiencing. In fact, about 83% of the time, patients with PTSD have at least one other psychiatric illness. In older adults, PTSD often co-occurs with mood and anxiety disorders, like major depressive disorder, which affects 50 to 70% of patients, or generalized anxiety disorder, which affects 15 to 45% of patients. Wow, that's really interesting. So what about medical comorbidities? What medical problems do older adults with PTSD experience? Great question. So PTSD is actually a misfiring of our body's natural fear or flight response system. And so our sympathetic nervous system, that's our system that is run by adrenaline or epinephrine, goes into overdrive and becomes hyper aroused. Unlike the usual state where people's fear flight system will respond to threats in their environment. In PTSD, people are always in a state of fear or flight. And so their sympathetic nervous system is always activated, meaning they're always ready to either run or to fight. This is going to lead to elevated resting blood pressure and heart rate. PTSD has actually been linked to a 24 to 46% increased risk of hypertension. This is a major concern in older adults. And something to keep an eye on because it can increase the potential for strokes and cardiovascular disease. Now, even if someone gets treated for their PTSD, it doesn't completely eliminate their risk of developing hypertension, but it can reduce it. How often do clinicians see older adults bring up concerns for PTSD on their own during primary care checkups? Not too often. It's important to proactively ask your older adults about trauma as they're not likely to spontaneously bring it up especially if the trauma occurred a long time ago. A lot of older adults also might somaticize their symptoms, meaning instead of talking about psychological symptoms, they might talk about body symptoms they're experiencing, like pain, fatigue, and so on. Lastly, keep in mind that cognitive impairment can influence a patient's ability to interpret or express their symptoms. Are there any specific assessments you recommend using when screening for PTSD in older adults? Yeah, so the gold standard is the clinician-administered PTSD scale, or CAPS, but it's primarily used in research, not really helpful for office use. For clinical use, I recommend using either the PTSD checklist for DSM-5, PCL-5, or the primary care PTSD screen for DSM-5, abbreviated PC-PTSD-5. The PCL-5 is filled out by the patient and can be completed in the waiting room. It's 20 questions long, but only takes 5 to 10 minutes to complete. Okay, so we have discussed the epidemiology, comorbidities, risk factors, and screening tools. But what about treatment? 
How do medications and psychotherapy compare in effectiveness when treating PTSD in older adults? When it comes to treating PTSD in older adults, therapy is often more effective than medications, and trauma-focused psychotherapy is considered the best option. Cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, is another effective form of treatment. Despite potential barriers like medical, psychosocial, and cognitive issues, older adults can still benefit from therapy. However, if a patient has a comorbid substance use disorder, it's important to address that before starting a trauma-focused therapy. The VA guidelines recommend manualized trauma-focused therapies that have a primary component of exposure and cognitive restructuring. Exposure means reliving some of the experiences and symptoms that contributed to the PTSD and cognitive restructuring involves challenging those thoughts and attempting to modify them in a more logical and adaptive manner. The most strongly recommended therapies typically consist of 8 to 16 sessions and include prolonged exposure, cognitive processing therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, otherwise known as EMDR, brief eclectic psychotherapy, narrative exposure therapy, and written narrative exposure. So if therapy is the most effective treatment, when should medications be used? Medications can be complementary with therapy, and patients may require stabilization on medications before they can even tolerate a trauma-focused therapy. Medications are also preferred in patients who choose not to engage in or are unable to access trauma-focused therapies or for patients who prefer medication to therapy. What types of medications are recommended for late-life PTSD? Unfortunately, when it comes to meds for treating late-life PTSD, there's not a lot of data available. The VA 2017 PTSD practice guidelines suggest using certain antidepressants such as sertraline, paroxetine, fluoxetine, or venlafaxine as first-line treatments. However, among these medications, paroxetine and fluoxetine are less frequently used in older adults because of their side effect profiles and drug-drug interactions. Fluoxetine also has a long half-life, which can make it tricky to use in our older population. Paroxetine has anticholinergic effects, which also makes it a less favorable option. For PTSD nightmares, I like prazosin or clonidine but they may not be suitable for everybody because of concerns for low blood pressure and falls, which in older patients can be devastating. Antipsychotics, benzodiazepines, MAOIs, dopiramate, and tricyclic antidepressants are not recommended for treating PTSD in older adults due to their poor side effect profiles. There you have it. Remember, PTSD is not uncommon in older adults and is best treated with a combination of trauma-focused psychotherapy and antidepressant medications. Make sure to proactively ask your older patients about trauma as they are more susceptible to psychiatric and medical comorbidities. The newsletter Clinical Update is available for subscribers to read in the Carla Geriatric Psychiatry Report. Hopefully people will check it out. Subscribers get print issues in the mail and email notifications when new issues are available on the website. Subscriptions also come with full access to all the articles on the website and CME credits. And everything from Carla Publishing is independently researched and produced. 
There's no funding from the pharmaceutical industry. Yes, the newsletters and books we produce depend entirely on reader support. There are no ads and our authors don't receive industry funding. That helps us bring you unbiased information that you can trust. As always, thanks for listening and have a great day. Bye. Bye.